Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, or hell a fury like a woman scorned. That famous line is from William Congreve's The Morning Bride, and my God, if it ain't applicable in this episode. Young bride, ignored by her husband, learns that he's taking another woman as his wife, and her blood begins to boil to a rage most of us cannot fathom. Today's story is considered one of the worst crimes ever committed in Kuwait, and I doubt you will disagree. Welcome, welcome, welcome into another episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden, your podcast about bad things. I'm your old buddy Brad, the captain of the ship. So who put me in charge? Well, I did, in part because I have about a decade of service in criminal defense work as an attorney, and also because I'm the only one who's willing to pay the bills around here. I hope all is well in your lives today. Last week, we released our episode on Valentine's Day. This week, we're releasing on Mardi Gras. Fun fact, because I know y'all like to learn, even though that whore of a city of New Orleans gets all the attention, Mardi Gras actually began in Mobile, Alabama, my home state. And it's such a big deal that it's considered a state holiday. The government just shuts down. So if you want to have Mardi Mardi Gras fun without a bunch of frat bros puking down your back, consider making the trip to Mobile instead. All right, now to the story and the real reason why you're here. I I know you love my travel tips, but um, we're really focusing on uh, the story instead of Mardi Gras. And I found this story on Medium from an article by a... Kibla Kud, and I used it as an outline for this episode because she did such a good job with it. Her article's in my show notes. She has a bunch of other articles about different crimes and whatnot, too, so I'd encourage you to check out her work. Her, her interests are true crime and finance, which is a fascinating combination. Unusual, but fascinating. Oh, and you know what? We forgot to give shout-outs to our new KMH Plus members last week, so I'm going to do that now before I forget. So, here's our new subscribers, and we have several. Thank you to Christine, Cameron, Jadina, Kim, Heather, Robin, Natalia, Nina, and Rob. Woo! That's a lot. Thank you all so very much. All right, enough banter. I really got carried away there. I'm sorry. That's bad for me. On on to the story. Nazra Alamzi was from Kuwait City. Not much is recorded about her childhood, which doesn't really shock me considering she's a woman living in a Muslim world. We do know this. She married while she was still a teenager, and she had a history of mental health issues. Don't know exactly what those mental health problems were because this is one of those lands, you know, where mental health is kind of a taboo topic and it's kind of overlooked, which is unfortunate. Nazareth's husband, Zaid, expected a traditional family life. You know, he would work, he would support the family while Nazareth would take care of the household and the children. 
very traditional, as you would expect in, in this world. Nazar was down with this plan, but when she got into it, it kind of seemed to be beyond her capabilities. She tried, but the constant stress of keeping up the house, cooking meals, and raising the couple's two boys, both of which had special needs, and who were only five and three at the time of our story, was really just too much for her. Despite her best efforts, she just couldn't do it. Zaid, of course, isn't very sympathetic and expresses his frustration multiple times with his wife, particularly her always being tired and stressed out and not wanting to do adult things with him. This eventually led Zaid to begin dating. Now, under Kuwait law, this is legal. There's no problems with this. It's not considered adultery. Men are, in fact, allowed to have multiple wives. And Zaid was rather callous about his dating life, often sharing the details of his romantic escapades with Nazra. And not surprisingly, this just caused her more stress and anxiety and frustration. This was a woman doing the best she could with the hand life had dealt her, and her husband was not doing a thing to help her deal with her own troubles. In fact, it's easy to argue that he actively added to her problems. Before what seemed like too much longer, Zaid happily announced to his friends and family, but not directly to Nazra, that he was taking a second wife. Like I said again, totally legal, totally allowed under Kuwait law, but this devastated Nazra when she found out. She knew the reality of the situation. She would become neglected wife number two in the standings. She would still have to answer to Zaid, but she would always be in the background. And she knew she couldn't compete with this new wife. She was going to have to live this way unless she put up a fight. And she was willing to put up a fight in a way. The wedding occurred in August of 2009. So traditionally in Kuwait weddings, kind of paying homage to, their, uh, to most people's nomadic history or ancestry, weddings would take place in large tents, and actually in two tents, to be specific. One tent was for the men, and the other was for the women and children. The men would celebrate by having this huge feast, lots of alcohol and laughter and whatnot, while the women would have a large dance party for lack of a better term. Uh, They would have catered food, you know, on the outside of the tent, and then they would just dance and chill and have fun. It sounds like if you want to be in one of the two tents, you probably want to be in the woman's tent, but that's just how they did it. Now, these tents, you know, aren't what we traditionally think of. They're pretty large. They hold well over 200 people. And then, as per tradition, at the end of the celebration, the husband comes and picks up his new bride, who all the guests have adorned her totally in black garments. I, I don't know the history behind all of that. So it kind of seems like the way it goes is you have your wedding, then you have your bachelor and bachelorette parties, and then you go on your honeymoon. That's probably overly simplified in a very Western view of it, but that's what I understand. Nazar decided this was the moment to get her revenge. 
She decided to do so by soaking rags and towels in either gasoline or kerosene. Sources conflicted on the exact accelerant used. And began stuffing the rags and towels around the edges of the new wife's tent. Now, lots of people saw her doing this, but she was dressed as a maid, not as a party goer. So she kind of flew under everyone's radar. After finishing this task, Nazra then poured her accelerant on the sides of the tent, again, without anyone really paying attention, and then she set fire to the tent. Again, the tent that includes women and children only. According to reports, just shy of 200 people were in the tent, including wait staff and other kind of servants slash employees. The tent was designed with only one entrance, which means there was only one avenue of escape. When the flames took, they took with Nazareth's vengeance. The tent was completely consumed by fire within seconds and was destroyed, like reduced to smoldering rubble in about three minutes. Initially, 41 dead bodies were found among the remains. Another 58 were taken to the hospital. Over half the people inside were either scarred or killed by Nazar's actions. Firefighters had a hard time describing the carnage, but pointed to metal chairs that had melted into these Salvador Dali type shapes, air conditioners that were set up around the venue were just these charred black boxes with nothing inside. Experts believed that the interior of the tent reached over 930 degrees Fahrenheit or 500 degrees Celsius. And this was on a day when it was already 122 degrees Fahrenheit or 50 degrees Celsius outside which no doubt helped the fire spread more quickly and the heat inside to increase rapidly. Many of the bodies that were recovered were completely unrecognizable. They, they were just charred bones. Police and fire investigators initially suspected faulty wiring was the cause of the fire. They were, to put it mildly, highly annoyed with the fact that this event was not approved by local government officials and that the tents were not built to safety code standards. The final casualty total for the fire was 57 dead and 90 wounded to various degrees. Most due, died due to the fire. Some were trampled by the mad dash to visit, fit through the only exit. And again, to remind you, this is only women and children. Zaid's new bride escaped unharmed but her sister and mother were killed. This is considered one of the worst disasters in Kuwait's history by body count, with some claiming it's the worst civilian disaster ever to occur in Kuwait. Now, it took some time for Nazra to become a suspect. This is because both Zaid and Nazra were well-liked in the community, and there had been no outward signs of any sort of discontent in their marriage. And again, this is kind of normal for Zaid to take on a second wife. Eventually, Nazra was brought in for routine questioning, and she just instantly melted under the pressure. She confessed to being the one to set the fire. She was arrested and charged with 57 counts of murder. This 
supposedly shocked both Zaire and his new bride as they didn't realize she was this upset. When she was provided with counsel, she quickly recanted her confession, claiming that the male police officers coerced it out of her and threatened her if she didn't take responsibility for the fire. However, the judge allowed her confession to be admitted at trial. Now, we have a bit of a unique twist in Nazareth's case in that when she was arrested and she underwent an initial medical exam at the prison, she discovered she was pregnant. And under Kuwait law, a pregnant woman cannot be executed for her crimes, no matter how gruesome. So this appeared to be the perfect shield for Nazareth to ensure that she'd keep her life at least. But then there's another twist, which is curious. Nazareth suffered a spontaneous abortion after about two months in prison. Now, she insisted that she was forced to drink some unknown liquid by prison authorities, and that this was what caused the abortion. Despite her lawyers making this plea to the court, and despite Nazareth complaining to jail officials, no medical exam was ever allowed, permitted, ordered, at all on Nazareth to see what the cause of her spontaneous abortion was. She later claimed that she thought it was the result of a curse, that some sort of black magic was designed to kill her unborn baby. Now, the trial was the source of, like, a lot of media attention. While guilt was never really in doubt, everybody was debating the Senate because Kuwait typically does not hand out the death sentence to women. There was also speculation that since Nazareth was pregnant during part of the prosecution, that would be enough to shield her from receiving the death penalty. There's also a little nuance in Kuwait's law that allows the victim's family in a murder to ask the judge not to impose the death sentence or not to impose the maximum sentence, to ask for mercy, saying that they don't need retribution. Now, despite the best efforts of her three attorneys, the state appointed her three attorneys, Nazar was found guilty on all 57 counts of murder. Again, not surprising. Everyone's kind of expecting that. During the sentencing, of course, the defense puts on evidence that she's got two children, both with special needs, that she's the primary caretaker of. She has a long history of mental illness, and she claimed she was the victim of pervasive abuse from her husband. She was nevertheless given the death sentence. When given the opportunity to speak, all 57 of the victim's families asked the court to give the death sentence. Prosecutors argued this was such a heinous act, it demanded a drastic sentence. And like I said, the trial court agreed. The community kind of withheld judgment regarding Nazra until the end of the trial. And then she was quickly villainized as a selfish, nasty young woman who killed scores of people because her feelings were hurt. Government officials were also appalled that the tents were constructed in such an unsafe way, 
and immediately passed new legislation requiring very specific standards for tents, requiring a permit before a tent could be erected, requiring a safety inspection by a government official after the tent was erected before it could be occupied, and in some reports I read, it outlawed tents to be used for marriage ceremonies, period. Now, copies of these tent permits, when they're given out, are also given to local fire and police authorities just so they can be aware of what's going on. And, you know, as bad as Nazra's act was and all the horribleness she caused, part of the reason this went into effect is this was the second time in two years there had been a major accident involving a tent and people dying. The first one wasn't due to a criminal act. It was an accidental thing. Now, while the community had turned on Nazar herself, her sentence at least, you know, sparked this philosophical debate, you know, an academic debate across the country, you know. Was a death sentence just considering all the circumstances? Could Why are we executing her when we generally don't execute women? Critics of the Senate's claimed it was really inconsistent with the law at that time and established precedent, and they believed it was due more so to public and political pressure. Many also blamed the circumstances Nazar was in as a contributing factor that deserved countrywide attention as many women were suffering the same plight that pushed Nazar over the edge. Women's rights advocates used Nazareth as an example of why certain traditions and policies needed to be abandoned in the Middle East. And it was also surprising because the Emir of Kuwait has the authority to commute sentences, and he had never allowed a woman to be executed during his reign. On January 25th, 2017, Nazar's execution was carried out behind prison walls via hanging, bringing an end to the sad tale. Some reports claim that Nazar was too weak to even walk to the gallows, or she would, or maybe she was passively refusing to cooperate. But regardless, she ended up being one of seven people executed on that fateful day. This is one of those cases, you know, where there's just no winners. But I mean, I guess in fairness, that's how most of our episodes truly are. This one just seems particularly tragic because of the huge number of victims and Nazareth's mental state. It also presents some interesting con contrasts about the world in Kuwait. You know, from a Western point of view, many of these traditions seem to be outdated, sexist, arguably even barbaric. Yet this case was big enough to spark this huge debate about these issues, including whether women should even be eligible for the death penalty, period. And this caused a lot of academic sorts and political leaders to say, look, why don't we follow Europe's example? Europe's abolished the death penalty we abolish the death penalty, then we don't have to worry about this anymore. And that's kind of fascinating to me because that's not something the United States seems 
willing to seriously consider, and yet Kuwait has debated it. You know, and I've said this a few times, and I'll say it again. I'm not a fan of the death penalty for a variety of reasons, but if you're going to have a death penalty, why would you not use it in this case? Honestly, this is, I understand Nazra was mentally ill. I understand she was under, she was in a bad situation. She had been dealt a bad hand, but she didn't go after her husband. She went after the innocents, the women and the children. I, I, I just, I don't understand why her solution is to attack the other woman when it's her husband that's causing all the problems. Especially when you know that this tent contains children in it. I mean, again, I wouldn't vote for the death penalty, but if I was the judge on this case, I would have no problems handing down the death penalty. Now, one report claims Nazra told others while in prison she wasn't trying to set the tent on fire. She was using water, which had been turned dark via black magic. In other words, she was trying to curse the bride and all the people that supported her. She claims she didn't know that what she was using was gasoline. Which kind of begs the question of, was Nazra just claiming to be innocent, or did she truly believe this? You know, rightly or wrongly, I don't have a ton of faith in the Kuwait mental health system based on their history of just ignoring mental health problems. And I certainly don't trust a prison's medical staff since they refused to even perform a cursory exam of Nazra after her spontaneous abortion. It may be the case she, she was truly that mentally ill that she thought she was just cursing the wedding. And I guess in a way, she certainly did. You know, if she really truly did believe this, it kind of stinks to see such a one, young woman, she was only 23 at the time, forfeit her life because she wasn't living in reality. Um, you know, again, it's just sad all the way around for so many people regardless of what her, her mindset or her motivation was. So that's that tale. It's a sad one, not a very celebratory one for Mardi Gras, but I just found it to be an interesting story of, of what happens when you really upset the wrong woman, I guess. Oh, you know, uh, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it, every single one of y'all. Uh, it means a lot just to see how many people listen to our episode every week. And, you know, you being part of that, it, 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 I mean, I said it before, it means a lot. Um, you know, if, if you're willing to share this with uh, your friends and family, we certainly would appreciate it. Reviews are always welcome. Uh, we're on social media doing stuff, particularly Instagram. I post a lot of stupid things on there. We've got a Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash killing missing hidden. Instagram is kmh.podcast, which annoys me to no end. We're on Twitter too at kmhpodcast. And we have a tic tac or tic tac, tic tock. That's how, but yeah, may as well be a tic tac. But we have one of sorts uh, again at kmhpodcast. Um, 
we almost forget that we, I almost, I got to take responsibility. I almost forgot the Pelicans are here. And that would have been horrible. I just skipped over it in my notes. Um, okay, so let's do it. You're going to hate it because it's so bad. Did you know that milk is the fastest liquid on earth? Yeah, it's true. It's pasteurized before you can even see it. Ha, 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 ha. Dad joke level punniness there. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I hope that makes your day. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us this week. I hope you enjoyed your visit. And we will be back next week, assuming the creek don't rise. Right out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.